All right, here we go. It's uh, episode two, season three. I think it's episode 77 of Stick to Hockey Live. It's Jason Martinez. And for our guest today, I actually, you know what? I actually have uh, a, um, a prop to bring him on today. I found this when I was kind of going through the garage before the show. Live from Montreal. <laughs> Where'd you get that? Anthony DeMarco. This actually, this beauty. As you know, I have a ton of twigs, ton of goalie sticks, because they are works of art. I mean, I have them hanging all over my house. This is actually an Antero Nidamaki Montreal game used stick. Long paddle for Nits, too. I mean, that's probably it's probably a 32. So it's not it's definitely not a uh a name I've heard in a while. I think he ended yeah. his career in Tampa Bay, if I'm not mistaken. You, you know think. the crazy thing about this Montreal stick, though? I want to show you this. What about it? Montreal stick. Where did you think it's made? I mean, it's Montreal, right? I want to say probably China, but that's probably not right. Made <laughs> in Finland. <laughs> Jesus. That makes no sense. But he used the stick with the Montreal writing on it? Yeah, that, that was the brand. Montreal's the brand, but the stick was actually made. Oh, the brand is Montreal. Yeah, Montreal was a brand to stick back in the day. Oh, uh, okay. And for people to see, I'll, I'll let you see his knob. He, he went with quite a large knob. And a little bit, it looks like he caught a skate right here in the end of it because there's a big chunk out of the stick and a cut. And he was a, a heel wrapper, as you can see, because the heel's wrapped. Yeah. A lot of goalies will just come to here now, leave the heel exposed because the new sticks can handle that. But this is actually a wood stick and not even a wood composite. So it looks like he took a, a couple of uh, shots at the old post there at the end of the stick, too. You hear, you hear that? It's all great. Open. <laughs> yeah. Slam the post up when you're pissed off. <laughs> so, yeah, there's your there's your stick segment of the day, everyone. Um, <laughs> prop that out today. I was just... Going through the garage, and I have like stacks and stacks of goalie sticks out there. Actually, I think I have another mantra. Oh no, that's a warrior that I have out there too. Okay, but anyway, um, a lot to talk about. But before we get into anything, Ant, I want to, you know, the new era of orange thing. And I, I was talking to somebody last night down at the game, and it's such like a whole different vibe down there. Are you getting that sense, kind of, from the people you talk to too? Just a, a different cultural vibe around the team. Yeah, I mean, even you look at it from other teams, like I was speaking to uh, an executive with another team yesterday, and we were talking about the Flyers, and they were saying like how different it feels from even just six, seven, eight months ago. And yeah. this and this particular person was just like, you know, like even back then talking to Chuck, like there was almost like a sense of every one of us feeling bad for him, because mm -hmm. we knew that he was answering to someone upstairs who was clueless or to guys making major decisions. I guess he was alluding to Holmgren and Clark and Barber, who, I mean, you respect what they did way back when, but the fact that they had such a major pull and major personnel decisions in the front office was something that I guess was dated. It was a dated mentality, but you look at how different it is now. And just, it's not even just like you change the general manager, like you change the GM you hire a separate president of hockey operations who clearly has his finger on the pulse of what this city wants and needs. 
you bring in a new chairman and CEO in um, Dan Hilferty, who effectively replaces two people in Dave Scott and Vel Camillo in one fell swoop. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it it's, looks so much better. And, you know, a lot of people wanted to see the entire front office gutted. You know, if you turn back the clock eight, ten months ago, everyone was just like, get rid of everyone. You know, Yeah, guilt by association. Yeah, exactly. But you look at what they've done in that front office, and Brett Flair is still here. Barry Hanrahan is still here. Alan McCauley got promoted. Obviously, they clearly uh, overhauled that uh, player development department. But even the people who... Yeah, but even the people who took over were just internal hires and Riley Armstrong and Nick Schultz. So I guess it goes to show that it wasn't that everyone related to the organization was a disaster. It was just mostly the people at the top that needed to be changed. And the highest person in the org has been changed and it really has trickled down. Yeah, you know, I was on my Facebook page. I don't do much on Facebook, although this is being broadcasted there right now. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of scrolling through it before the game last night. And, you know, I'm seeing all these pictures from the Flyers block party from people that I'm connected to on Facebook. I guess they're pseudo, uh, you know, friends on Facebook. And I'm seeing all these pictures of Chris Tarion and Dan Hilferty at the block party with all these different fans, uh, like five different people that I'm connected to on Facebook. Dan's out there meeting with the fans all the time. Like he jumps into that and it's not unnatural. I think it's just the way he is. Like, uh, I, I have not yet spent any real real time with Dan Helferty. I'm going planning to very soon, but I mean, it seems very genuine, and, and it does feel a lot different. Now, I will tell you that last night I'm at the game. It's the home opener, and I'm, I'm sitting in the um, press box after I got done pregame, and I this somebody from one of the Flyers interns comes up and hands me this box. It's like the size of a shoebox. It's pretty heavy, though. I'm like, what the hell's in this thing? So I have not opened it. And this was uh, apparently a gift that a lot of the people that cover the team got. Now, I don't cover the team. I'm not traditional media. I work for the team. I'm a content creator. But, like, you know, Charlie O'Connor, who I was sitting next to, got one. Bill Meltzer got one, who works for the team. And and a couple seats down, Adam, Adam Kimmelman got the same box. So I figured we'd unveil this box on the podcast to see what the heck is in it and why the heck it's, I mean, it's here. It's pretty heavy, right? So let's open it. What's in the box. I'm Brad Pitt now in seven. I hope it's not Gwyneth Paltrow's head in here. (laughs) Is it Chuck Fletcher's head? No, that's, that's an unnecessary comment. (laughs) That ain't right. Okay. So we're opening the box. Okay. So we open the box and the first thing we, let me get my camera working. A new era of orange. And it's definitely the burnt orange color, as you can see. Mm. See, I see all these videos on YouTube of people like, uh, the unboxing of my new whatever the fuck, right? Okay, so so I open it. Oh, it's nicely presented, as you can see. And there's a note. So let's get the note out right here. I'll show it on the camera. There's the note. Let's read it. The note says, a new era of orange at the top says, in this new era... We honor our storied past. We put in the work to ignite excitement for the future. We welcome longtime fans and new ones to wear the orange and black with pride. Together, we create a new legacy that will inspire and electrify the city. The future is here, and it's brighter than ever. Welcome to a new era of orange. And it's kind of signed at the bottom, Philadelphia Flyers. Let me get my camera fixed again. So that that's the note. That's a good note. And, and did you see the new locker room at? Very nice. Very well Holy, done. Holy, I would. 
I'd be afraid to get undressed in there because I'd mess it up. It's so beautiful. It's huge. <laughs> and all the new facilities and saunas and hot tubs and everything, the amenities are top notch. And, and that stuff does matter when you get into the free agent game. Like, it matters. Yeah. Like, I got, there's this little thing. I don't know what this is. See this little thing here? Oh, this is a – I think this is a phone, like, battery pack to, like, charge your phone. Oh yeah, there's a thing here. You flip it. Oh yeah, you plug your phone into it. So a little battery pack. So and you charge this up, and then you can carry that with you as a as an extra pack because there's a shirt in here. I meant to send this to Demarco. <laughs> and it's uh, what does it say? Um, a new air horn. Okay. Oh, it's a nice. Oh, it feels nice too. It's a nice cotton. Yeah. All right, we're gonna send that to Demarco. <laughs> then we've got uh, we got to get you one of these up there. You cover the team. I mean, Christ. Yeah, and there's a book here. They should FedEx it with the logo and a little wrap on it. This is probably like a reporter's notebook. Yep. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, nice reporter's Very hard bound, too. So that's a nice little item. I'm liking this little package here. No, definitely. Oh, here's the uh, cord for the, the charger pack. What is this? Oh, this looks like a, like a laptop cover case or something. It's padded. Okay. Pretty cool. Oh, there's a pen. And it says Philadelphia Flyers on it. Nice pen. You want a pen? That's an old uh, Angelo Cataldi joke. <laughs> and then, and then there's th this is where the weight came from. You ready for this, Ant? Mm-hmm. Oh, Dan. A okay. bottle of Union Forge vodka with the Flyers logo on it. How about that? That gets you on the floor pretty fast. Yeah, boy. <laughs> we'll get kicked off the internet if I drink this sucker real quick. And that's it. Then the bottom of the box. And it's uh th there's another note that says you know this box contains a selection of items including new merch favorites from our partners and exclusive branded pieces created with you in mind toast to all the celebratory moments this season with a custom bottle of union forge vodka courtesy of our friends at union forge welcome to the season from the flyers communication team cool box too a little logo inside the box that's fucking i'm pretty i'm pretty pumped about this <clears throat> no it's a it's a very that's awesome uh, and and i guess it just goes to show that you know, when we were talking about, you know, when they were looking for a president of hockey ops and one of the main goals was for that president to bring the business and the hockey side together and yep. really gel the two. Like this is a very indicative, I guess, uh, gesture on that where you very have a detailed. president of hockey ops in Keith Jones, who obviously really knows the city and he's helping the business side and Dan Hilferty really understand what the people who are fans of this hockey team and have been fans of this hockey team for 30, 40, 50 years would appreciate. And look, it's a small gesture. And obviously the biggest thing will be if you can ice a good team first and foremost, but if you could at least show that you care and and try and appeal to those hardcore fans, I think it will go a long way because in addition to the on ice product being bad during the Ron Hextall and Chuck Fletcher eras, and you could even say the Dave Scott era to just kind of put a bow on it. I do think the the stuff off the ice and I guess the uh, the lack of awareness of the business side was a major, major issue as well. Yeah, that's very cool, though. I really appreciate that from the team and some really cool stuff in there. So um, let's get to kind of the big news first and foremost. We'll get to last night's game and kind of the first three games in a second. But I was pretty shocked last night when we were told that Morgan Frost was coming out of the lineup. I saw your tweet yesterday about Sean Couturier, that he was going to take warm-ups and kind of make the decision from there. But it was looking good that 
he was going to play. And it was a little nerve wracking on Monday when he didn't practice after a day off on Saturday. Right. Yeah. But he played last night and boy, did he play last night. Um, but coming out of the lineup was a bit of a shocker. It was Morgan Frost. And well, I, you know, I think you and I talked about it. I talked about it on Flyers Daily. I, I named three players that I thought were off to, I didn't say bad starts, but I thought were off to very quiet starts. And it was Frost, Tippett, and Cates that I thought had very quiet performances and I needed them to make a little more noise. I was surprised that Frost comes out. First, you take a center out when you have a glut at right wing and you put Brink and Forster in, not saying they didn't deserve it. They've earned it. And I think that's a good sign. But are you surprised Frost comes out this early in the season for the home opener, which is kind of symbolic after he was scratched last year when he went back home to Toronto? You know, I, I was surprised because of what you said. He's a centerman in terms of what they need uh, up the middle of the ice. He provides a style of game that they don't have with Noah Cates or Sean Couturier or last night, you know, Scott Lawton moves to the middle. So I was pretty surprised that after two games, John Tortorella decided to bring the hammer down on Frost, especially when you consider, <clears throat> pardon me, the other players that are struggling as well, players that are in his tier age-wise and maybe future-wise and Tippett and Noah Cates. But then you kind of dig into the underlying numbers, and obviously they don't tell the whole story, but you know, according to EvolvingHockey.com, so far this season, Morgan Frost last ranks dead last in expected goals for percentage, uh, Corsi percentage, and shot differential percentage. And by pretty wide margins, like you look at his expected goals for percentage, it's 29.31. The next lowest forward is Owen Tippett, but with 46.33. You know, his Corsi is 41.37. And then the next lowest guy is Scott Lawton at 47.21. His shot differential percentage, he ranks at 33.16. The next lowest forward is 46.48. So obviously last night's game does skew some numbers, obviously because everyone had a really good game last night. So it dragged a lot of these numbers up. Yeah, But it just does go to show that it's not just that Frost isn't putting points up. He's has some bad underlying numbers and the bad underlying numbers and the differentiate the, the difference between his numbers and the next lowest forwards are, pr are pretty stark contrast. Now, do I think that it was something that had to be made a decision that had to be made after two games and for the home opener? Probably not. I mean, the Flyers are in a position right now where you don't have to win games and you are a rebuilding team and you're trying to build for the future and figure out what you have in a lot of these guys, Morgan Frost being one of them. But when you look at the the results and the tangible analytics behind it, it is kind of hard to justify keeping him in the lineup because he just hasn't had a good start point in the, just point final. Yeah. I think like, it's hard to look at like analytics with a two game sample size, right? Of course. Because, exactly. you know, one bad game can outweigh because there's just not enough there yet. There's not enough yeah. there there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the the eye test has showed the same thing. He just, he's created a little bit, but there's been other areas but where it's been way too quiet and you haven't seen those flashes from him. And the same with Tippett. You know, <clears throat> Tippett's attempted a lot of shots, but not, not much has gotten through before last night. <clears throat> I thought he was better in the game last night. Um, but we'll see where this goes because, you know, a lot of times coaches don't like to make changes after good performances or wins. 
Yeah. Now, this is different. We saw changes after the win against Columbus and into Ottawa, but that's the first two games of the year. Um, but we'll see where this goes with Morgan Frost. It, it's a storyline, you know, worth following because obviously he signs that extension, you know, the RFA deal in the just before the season. So there's, you know, it's in their best interest for him to have a really good year for a ton of reasons. So we'll see how that goes. Um, in, in the game last night, well, it was a weird game, Ant. You know, you, you go on the road, you open against Columbus, who I still think is a huge question mark. You know, you got Gaudreau, you got Provorov. We'll see how Warinsky holds up this year. You got Merzlikens in net. He was good against the Flyers, but is that good enough to be a team that pushes for a playoff spot in a 32-team league in the East? I don't know. So you get the win there. Then you go and you get Ottawa in their home opener, and they're a little pissed off because they lost their opener. And, you know, they outplayed the Flyers in every facet of that game. And you lose 5-2. to two. You pay the price for it. You give up three power play goals. Um, for for Ottawa, and you go into that game last night in a team that gets off to a good start. They beat Edmonton eight to one and five to three, and the Flyers come out of that first period up two to nothing. Vancouver outplayed them, I thought, first period. They outpossessed them. Um, they had more offensive zone time by about two and a half minutes. And the Flyers come out in the second period. They outshoot them twenty three to two. I was really stunned by that. The shots were thirty three to thirteen after two periods of play last night. And then you go, okay, this is a tough spot because you're up 2 nothing. If they score the next goal, you know, they can undo all the good you've done through two periods. But they get 13 shots on Hart in the third period. Had no action in the game. And he, very mentally strong performance, played incredibly well in the third period. Demko makes an unbelievable shorthanded save on Scott Lawton. But all said and done, it's a 2 nothing win. Hart gets the goose egg early in the season. He's grooving a little bit. And it's a good for the Flyers, and I think it's one of those foundational block wins early in the season when you start to pick up some identity of your team. No, for sure. And, you know, you're playing against a team that has a lot to prove, right? The first full year of Rick Tockett, that's a team that wants to get back into the playoffs, a very deep and competitive Pacific division. I, I believe that Vancouver is probably going to be in the mix right to the Me end too. for a playoff spot. I do too. But there's performances like last night that are inexcusable. And Rick Tockett said as much following the game. Like that is not a game that you put up against a team that is projected to be maybe not a bottom feeder, but certainly not an upper echelon team and probably not even close to being a playoff team by any stretch. And you're playing against a team that, you know, is their team that has maybe more shallow center ice position than the Flyers. I mean, the Minnesota Wild as well, maybe. I, I took in that game up close last night at the Bell Center. But, I mean, for a team that has the guys like uh, Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko, who I think is one of the best goalies in the NHL, and we saw JT how Miller. Yeah. JT Miller, Bo, um, not Bo Horvath, Besser. Brock Besser. Yeah. So that, that's a team with a lot of talent and high-end talent, too, on the back end, in goal, and up front. So... That's just a very daunting performance for the Vancouver Canucks. And look, it's one game in October, very early on. There's a lot of racetrack left. But if you're looking from a Vancouver perspective, those are not games that you can come in and just give away because that's probably a way bigger loss if not for Thatcher Demko. Totally agree. Um, there was a play that happened in the first period about the seven-minute mark where right in front of the flyer bench, Nick Delarier obliterates a player. And I go, oh, that's a big hit. And that's a, that, that's a two-for-one hit because it's right in front of your bench. All the boys can see it. You know, they're piping in. Oh, it blew him up. Lifted him off his skate and just a good, clean hit, right? And come to see the player who he hit, it's Elias Pedersen. 
and nobody on Vancouver does a thing. Like, that's a guy, if he's on my team, man, you're not fucking with him. You don't touch. You don't touch. He's the golden You touch goose. him, you've got to answer. You got to make it clear that he's one of our guys that you're not going to fool around with. Nick Delarier is not going to get a clean hit on Elias Pettersson and have nothing to, and no answer for it. They did nothing. And I know Rick Tockett pretty well. Gotten to know him since his playing days. He's a guy that would be none too pleased that nobody reacted to that. Yeah, and you look up and down your their lineup, and there really isn't a a player there specifically up front that strikes me as someone who would really kind of be that guy and back your team. And then you look at, let's say, what the Flyers have on their fourth line. And a fourth line, like toughness aside, I think it's a fourth line that's played very well for the most part. I think that they've really been, yeah, well, there you go. The PH line is a damn good, hardworking line. It and is. you see why, like, that is a legitimately good fourth line in the NHL and a line that I think that a lot of teams would kill to have if you're in the playoffs. And it's kind of yeah. similar to me of that Carrier-Hua-Colasar uh, line that the that mm-hmm. the Vegas School Knights had last year. And that's yeah. not to say that every fourth line has to have toughness and this and that on it. But I do think if you have that toughness and element with guys who could play and contribute to tangible success as well in terms of puck possession and where uh, puck territory, territorial puck play and all that, which I think that they have, it goes a long way. And you see like the golden goose in Vancouver get absolutely railroaded by Nick Delory and nothing happens that radiates across your team. And especially mm-hmm. in a game where you're really not playing well. I, I totally agree. Now, that fourth line, you know, when they played the game against Columbus, Jake Bean scored to tie the game at one. John Tortorella put out that PhD line right after the goal, Paling, Hathaway, and Delarier. The next shift, like I always look at that shift right after a goal because a goal is the ultimate momentum grabber in a game, and the way to sustain it is what you do after you score. And that that PhD line went out, and they spent the next 41 seconds inside the Columbus zone. The puck didn't leave. Once they entered the zone, it didn't leave. They did their shift. They got off the ice, and it was a face-off offensive zone face-off. That mitigated the amount of momentum that Columbus got from the tying goal at that time. So um, I think they're playing really good. I'll tell you what, Ryan Paling's better than I thought he was. Maybe he's just off to a good start. I, I Look, I admit it. I didn't watch a whole lot of Ryan Paling prior to this season and, like, focused on him when he was on opposition teams. But – he can move a little bit. He sees the ice pretty well. He fits with those two guys. I think you're right. That's a good fourth line. I think a lot of teams that are ticketed for the playoffs would go, we'll trade your entire fourth line for your entire fourth line. Yeah. And Ryan Paling was a first round pick for a reason back yeah. in 2016. And he's someone that, you know, when they signed him, I thought that was a very shrewd signing. You know, he's only 24 years old. Like he's kind of still in that same age group as the, well, I, I mean, he is Tip getting it. up there in age at this point. Yeah, but he's in that Tippett Frost area, though. Yeah, he, he's in that vicinity. You know, he's one year older from those uh, those guys. And look, he's going to be an RFA at the end of the year. Is he someone that's, you know, you know, a guaranteed guy to be part of this future moving forward? Of course not. But, like, maybe that's some internal competition now for a guy like Elliot Denoye, a player that a mm-hmm. lot of us, myself included, thought, hey, could he be the 4C this coming year? Well, now Den Waye has, you know, some internal competition with Ryan Paling. And Paling is a guy that has experience with Nick DeLaurier, 
They played together in Montreal several years back. And Paling has that upside of a first or that pedigree rather that comes with an upside of being a former first round pick. I think he scored four goals in his first ever game in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens. And we know what Garnet Hathaway is. We know what Nick Delorier is. But I mean, again, you, you don't want to take analytics to the bank after a three game sample size. But, you know, all those guys are doing really well in terms of expected goals and Corsi and and shot differential percentage. So, I mean, I really do think that that is probably the best fourth line we've seen the Flyers have in a number of years. Yeah, I think you look at it. There's a couple of things here. I think there's a little bit of a Scott Lawton type thing that Ryan Paling's a first round pick. I think he's finally, you know, being a, a restricted free agent this summer, having to find a new team. And after being a first round pick, he's fine. I think he's realizing what he has to be at the NHL level. And it's not going to be a, a top six player. As a first round pick, you're going, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire, the whole thing, right? Yeah. And that's just not the path for him. You know, I, I'm never going to have that, you know, FU money like superstars have. But I, I'm going to have to work for everything I got. I think there's a, a no, coming to know what you're going to be in the NHL. And I think for the most part, that entire line knows what they are. There's no delusions of grandeur. They all know, hey, this is our job. And this is what we have to do. And I think they feed off each other. I think it's going to be a strength of the team. Um, it, you, look, it's an issue that your fourth line is the strength of your team. <laughs> it speaks to the high, the lack of high-end talent that you have. Um, the the, the Couturier um, penalty shot. I said this on the broadcast last night. We all think that penalty shots are very rare. They don't seem as rare anymore because we see shootouts all the time. So we see the same play take place, but as a shootout, it's rare to get an in-game penalty shot. And I got to tell you, I was stunned at the move that Couturier pulled out, you know, going backwards and then coming all the way back to his forehand with that left-hand shot just over the pad under the blocker bar and in. Because to me, he's he's one of the most no-frills players in the NHL. Like, he's not Trevor Zegers, you know, who you could see pulling that move. It's Sean Couturier who pulled that move. You surprised at the the finish on that that uh, penalty shot goal last night? Very surprised. It was very Claude Giroux esque. Like I thought, <laughs> I think we've seen Claude do that uh, back and forth for a bit. Um, and I think that what we saw there was a side of Sean Couturier that we were hoping to see eventually. Because mm. even coming back from the injury, I don't think that we would have really thought that he would have lost his hockey IQ or his defensive capabilities or that side of his game. And as you just mentioned, even at his peak, he was never a guy that would come in and strike fear into opponents, defense and goaltenders with his offensive capabilities and creativity. But all that being said, being able to see him pull a move like that in the shootout is something that was kind of a sight for sore eyes and forget it just being Sean Couturier. It's just something that, the Flyers don't have a lot of like yeah. even their top offensive guys, let's say from a year ago and Travis Konechny and Owen Tippett, two guys who I know Tippett's off to a slow start, but two guys that will probably at the end of the year lead the team in points or be close to it. That really isn't their type of game. Like they're more like Konechny's going to the dirty areas and a, has a good shot. Tippett could power his way to the net and has a good finish as well and is a volume shooter. Like we don't, we haven't really seen that type of offensive shiftiness and creating time and space for yourself probably since a peak level of Claude Giroux. So 
for a team that's even okay we know that they have a scarcity of high level talent and offensive players but it was even the guys they do have are more shooters in that respect so yeah it was uh, really cool to see sean katori pull that out of his bag of tricks and a bag that i don't think we really knew they had yeah and that's the first goal he has scored in the nhl since december 10th 2021 like comprehend that that's 22 months ago <laughs> that's that's crazy that it's been that long and that's pretty nuts and you could imagine like what that does to forget your physical uh, you physically but psychologically as well yeah it's uh it's a pretty yeah. intense like hill to overcome but we know he's an amazing pro so if anyone could do it it's sean katoria but for him to pull that off in game three last night especially at the home opener really was uh, cool to see um zamula last night picked up his first goal thomas uh messages in about that he says zamula's goal last night had eyes very much by his play so far he played game one against Columbus. He made the play really that led to the first goal, the Couturier Faraby 2 on 0, um, to open the scoring in that game by defending the blue line with that big long stick. And he defended really well. And then last night, I thought the goal was a very mature goal, Amp, because you know, Sealer keeps the play alive, eventually gets back to Zamula. He's the high point man. And he doesn't panic with the puck. A lot of young guys will think that thing's going to explode like a grenade, right? And the pins and pulled and just throw it either in the corner or to the net. But he kind of walks the line and finds the lane and then scores the goal. And while I like the goal, I think his defending looks way more mature than I thought it would. And you can see a guy coming off surgery. I didn't expect his game to be where it is right now. This is Igor Zamula? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... He, his defending has helped, helped a lot. Like, he's very rangy. And I find what I like the most about his defending is his ability to defend the rush. Because mm-hmm. he has such that long stick, he takes up a lot of space. His gaps and he's are good. just his gap control has improved a yeah. lot, too. Like, I've noticed it a few times that when they come over the blue line, the opposing team, he knows how much to, like, range his gap and just break up plays with his stick. And, you know, he's a guy that, like, look, is he ever going to be a top four guy? Probably not. Left shot guy, kind of buried behind Andre and Cam York long term. But, I mean, I think that if he could kind of figure it out here. And, look, he's the only defenseman right now through three games. And, look, he's only played two. But he's yet to be on the ice for a five-on-five goal against. So that says a lot. And it's not like he's being caved in either. Like, he's suppressing shots as well. Uh, his expected goals for percentage and his uh, Corsi percentage is in a good spot as well, both on the positive side of 50%. So he's really looked good through the first two games, obviously gets his first NHL goal, which should help with the confidence. But obviously his bread and butter is at the other end of the ice. And I think through uh, two games of gameplay here, he has shown that he's been a capable bottom pair guy. Yeah, I was really wondering about him coming off that late, you know, the late injury last year and the surgery, if he was going to, you know, be able to come in and have an effective camp after having to rehab boy he's he's looked really good early and i'm i'm surprised by it because i didn't expect it um travis sanheim we talked about him a ton and how important he is for this team both now and long term um you know watching him play he's leading the team in minutes played every game he's been the minutes eater there's a different demeanor to his game to me it looks like a guy that a has got a chip on his shoulder and is trying to prove something to everyone and be that there's, you know, you know how you watch certain players, you go, he's playing like a leader. He's more aggressive, intuitive, and just involved in everything. 
And it's not because he's on the ice more. It's just the way he's acting on the ice. I didn't see there was a passivity to his game prior to this season. And it, and in particular last season, I thought there was a passivity to his game. But you look at him this year, I think he looks like a different player. Yeah, he's 15 pounds of muscle stronger, and it shows that he's not killing guys, but he just looks like a player that has got something to prove and is like at this crossroads of his career. Am I going to be just another guy or am I going to be a, a good NHL defenseman? Hey, in my opinion, he's been their best defenseman to the. I think he may have been their best, have been their best player so far. Probably, I, with the I would exception say of the pickpocket that Giroux got him on late in the period in Ottawa. Yeah, but isolated mistakes will happen. But I think yep. in terms of just like a vast macro scale, he's been their best player and certainly their best defenseman. And I think that just the fact that he's also been playing on the right side, which is a massive change. I know in the offensive zone, he mentioned that he likes it, but in your own end, that's tough. Like when you catch the puck coming around the boards and you're facing the, like behind your net, as opposed to up the yeah, wall, that's a, not ideal. That, yeah. It's a tough adjustment to make, but he's been really good. Pro, more physical as well. We've heard about the what 15, 20 pounds of muscle he's put on. It's pronounced ant. <laughs> and you know yeah. what? Like we obvious, obviously we want, the kids to play we want Zamola to play we want york to play andre ideally added eventually Frank, maybe yeah. but you do need veterans like i i was at the montreal game last night which is why i didn't watch the flyers i was there in the press box and i was watching the canadians who are in a very similar spot to the flyers are organizationally and on their back end they have mike matheson and david savard on a back end that has Caden gooley and jordan harris and you know they're gonna have mayu and ryan bacher eventually but you still need those veterans. Like, I remember when the Flyers brought up Provorov and Gostaspir and coincidentally enough, Travis Sanheim five, six years ago, the veterans they were playing with was Radko Gudis and Andrew McDonald and, mm -hmm. and uh, no disrespect, but Nick Schultz, guys like that. Yeah. And it didn't do a lot of help. And you saw what it meant for guys like Provorov and Sanheim when they brought in Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen. I'm yeah. not saying that Travis Sanheim and Rasmus Ristolainen are God's gift to defense, but if they could become staples on that right side for the next two, three seasons or however long it's going to be and be those veteran presences for the Yorks and the Andres and the Zamulas while also being quality players, like just because someone's a veteran doesn't mean that they're going to be good for someone's development. Case in point, Andrew McDonald was a third pairing defenseman playing on his offside on the top pair. And it was a travesty. You know, Radko Gudis was always just a good third pair guy, but a lot of times you saw him playing on the second pair out of necessity. And now that you have two guys in Sanheim who's played like a top pairing guy through uh, so far this season, Risto has yet to play, but last year he played like a good second pair guy. That could really stabilize things while you try and figure out, is York going to be a number one or a number two? Is Andre going to be a two or a three or what have you? So I think that if Travis Sanheim could become this, maybe having him around, even though it's a long contract that we know they tried to move in the summer, but if he could be this consistently, and yes, it's only after eight games or after three games, but $6.25 million for this type of defenseman, especially as the cap goes up in the coming years, probably isn't the worst thing in the world. And let me, let me ask you this question. When does the chatter, like you're an insider, you get, you know, you have lots of sources in different organizations. When does the chatter about teams looking to make moves start? 
Six Does, is that around the 10 game mark? Is that around Thanksgiving? Where is that? Because te- teams are in assessment mode right now. Oh, we like what we have. Oh, we don't like what we have. But eventually they get to the point of, okay, we need to upgrade here. We need to look for this. We need to try and dump that. When does that begin? Six weeks. That's what one general manager told me like before the season started. It's usually so it is about Thanksgiving. Samples. It's usually, and that that's not anything profound. Like we've heard that American Thanksgiving is where a lot of teams know where they're at. Like if you're out by American Thanksgiving, chances are you'll be out by the time the regular season ends. I do think we've seen more trade chatter recently in early seasons because of the flat salary cap. Yeah. Something that a team like the Flyers will try and weaponize. Like we, I think something with Connor Garland coincidentally from the Vancouver Canucks is probably getting close. Maybe we see something in the coming days. Calgary flames are trying to figure out a way to ideally free up some cap space as well. You'd have to think that's Dan Vladar. I mean, I think that you could see deals like that, which is more just like cap for cap flexibility, maybe trying to get a disgruntled player, a new home, a third team coming in to broker the deal. But in terms of like actually adding pieces to make a difference for a playoff run, I think it really does start post American Thanksgiving just because teams want to give themselves a decent sample size, i.e. six weeks to see what they have in a lot of these players. So, I mean, in terms of guys like Sanheim, and we haven't seen him play yet, but Ristolainen, they have those longer-term contracts. So it is going to be tough. I think in Sanheim's case, you have a no-trade clause now that it's kicked in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Flyers have some guys that have term on their contracts that had interest last summer that they didn't move in, Konechny and Scott Lawton. Yeah, They don't really have any of those big, you know, pending UFAs. Like, I think their pending UFAs are Mark Stahl and Sean Walker. So, I mean... I think that Walker will probably get you a third or fourth round pick eventually. But in terms of more of like a hockey trade type of move, like they have some options here and look, teams are going to need to see a lot more of a sample size from Travis Sanheim, especially with him in in year one of an eight year contract. But certainly some players have shown early on here that if they maintain this level of play, it could be enticing for teams looking to make an addition, not only for this season, but for the coming ones as well. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that the Flyers are a team, you know, as you talk to guys around the league, the Flyers are one of the teams that a lot of people are keeping an eye on because of the public comments of where they are in a rebuild and that they are open for business. Yeah. And it's well known. Like Danny Breer said it on He's dealing. Was yeah. on Ottawa radio last Friday that they're willing to take on salary cap space for the right price. Or, or to take on salary for the right, right price and weaponize that cap space. And, you know, for the first time in years, they have cap flexibility. Like they're projected to have just under $4 million in cap space by the trade deadline. And that's not even LTIRing Ryan Ellis. So they have $916,000 currently today that they could open up an additional 6.25 if they were to LTIR Ryan Ellis. Now, right now they don't have to. You might as well just accrue that cap space towards the NHL trade deadline. But if a deal comes around, like, I mean, who knows? Like, let's say that a team is acquiring Connor Garland, let's say, just for instance. But the team acquiring him needs to move out salary as well and needs a third broker team to make it work. Maybe that's something that the Flyers would look to do by taking on contract X, preferably an expiring deal, maybe a player that could help you in the here and now, 
maybe parlay him into a draft pick of the trade deadline while also being compensated for taking on that player that's holding up a deal that would see Connor Garland end up on his new destination. And I think that the Flyers are in a spot right now where you could make that happen easily by just shifting Ryan Ellis to long-term injury reserve. True or false, Flyers will have at least three first-round picks in the next year's NHL entry draft. They already have two. Florida's their own. I, I think it's true. I think they get one more just because they could if they really wanted to. Like, if they wanted to, we know they traded, they turned down first-round picks for Scott Lawton. I imagine that the same was with Travis Konechny. Like, if the team's offering a first for Lawton, they're going to offer a first for Konechny. And, and then Carter Hart. Like, as soon as we get some final resolution on this Team Canada stuff, like, again, this is me tying two and two together. I was speaking to an executive from another team yesterday. He told me that everyone and their mother knew that the Flyers were exploring ways to move Carter Hart. From people I've spoken to, I think that it would have gotten a lot more serious if there wasn't that Team Canada stuff looming over it. But with that seeming to be more and more dormant, and who knows if there's even going to be uh, sanctions against players involved, and who knows what kind of players are involved by this point. But once there's some kind of bow put on that, does that expedite a uh, Carter Hart potential trade? And if he's on the market and teams are set to re-engage with them, whether it be Toronto or the Senators or the Canadians, whoever that may be, you would have to imagine that it starts with a first-round pick. Oh, yeah. No question. I I mean, I think conceivably they could end up with four first-round picks. I'm getting a little crazy now. Four first-round picks in the draft, but I think three will – I think that's uh, they'll certainly settle at least at, at that point when it's all said and done. All right, let's wrap it up there. Fourperiod.com. That's where you go to read all and stuff at a DeMarco 25 on Twitter. Great stuff, Ant-Man. We'll see what the next week brings. We'll see McDavid here in Philly coming up Thursday. He's just an absolute spectacle to see in person. I can't wait to watch him again. <laughs> I want to see him in Philly, but I don't want to see him in Philly at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kate's handled him well last year. Frustrated him. Yeah. We'll see if that's the case this year. Um, Great stuff, brother. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode of Stick to Hockey Live. Enjoy your hockey this week. We'll talk to you next time.